Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, we'll talk about words used out of place, how to use ellipses, and street signs with unusual punctuation. This first segment is written by Ben Yagoda, so when I say I, that's him, not me. The English writer David Mitchell's latest novel, Utopia Avenue, is about a fictional late 60s British rock band who, at various points, encounter real-life rock and roll figures. One scene takes place on the roof of the Chelsea Hotel in New York, where Janis Joplin gives an impromptu performance. After one song, she takes her leave because she says, I've a session tomorrow. I found that piece of dialogue surprising, but at the same time, not surprising. Surprising because Joplin, a native of Texas, would actually have said, I've got a session, or maybe I have a session. The I have a session construction is a Britishism. But not surprising because I'd already encountered a half a dozen examples in the novel of American characters using British words or phrases, and I'd come upon at least eight more in the remainder of the book. For example, Jean Clark on Quitting the Birds, Now it's gone, I want it back. In American English, you'd be more likely to say, now that it's gone. Paul Kantner of Jefferson Airplane saying chalk and cheese. That's a very British expression indicating two things very different in quality or value. And Frank Zappa saying accidents are often art's best bits. Americans would say best parts or best features. It's not only rock stars who talk this way. Other American characters in the book use the British terms spot on, hey presto to mean all of a sudden, chop chop to mean hurry up, the chop to mean getting fired, reckons to mean figures, eye hole to mean keyhole, carry on to mean keep going, and the till to mean the cash register. Since 2011, I've conducted a blog, Not One-Off Britishisms, dealing with British words and expressions that have been adopted by Americans. So I'm admittedly more sensitive than most to this kind of thing. But the Utopia Avenue examples aren't a product of that phenomenon. A half a century ago, when the book takes place, it hadn't even started yet. It's an example, rather, of a different trend. Lexical anatopism in British novels with American characters. Anatopism is the equivalent of anachronism, except referring to words out of place rather than words out of time. 
Fiction writers should be aware of both phenomena as there are potential pitfalls that'll make observant readers cross. The first instance I encountered of the American characters speaking British-English phenomenon was Emma Donahue's novel Room. Donahue was born in Ireland and lives in Canada, but the book, which is narrated by a boy named Jack, is set, one comes to learn, in the United States. However, Jack uses the thatless construction, now I'm five, I have to choose, and the very British proper, as in, if I put on my proper shoes, and I'm not doing proper pictures, just splotches and stripes and spirals. Meanwhile, his mother tells him, I have a big brother called Paul. An American would likely say, named Paul. Probably the most common Britishism in the book is bits, used to mean pieces or parts. The word appears 62 times in room. Uh, Having a book on a Kindle is great for this kind of investigation. And most are pure British, including she doesn't have many soft bits, but they're super soft. She's putting the hem back up on her brown dress with pink bits. And for dessert, we have a tub of mandarins between us. I get the big bits because she prefers the little ones. Tub is a Britishism for bowl or container, too. Kazuo Ishiguro's latest novel, Clara and the Sun, presents a similar case. English author, unconventional narrator, setting gradually revealed to be the United States, and the narrator and other ostensibly American characters uttering abundant Britishisms. There are 18 of them by my count, including clever to mean smart, which is slightly more common in British English. En suite instead of bathroom, which is likely being used more often in the U.S. lately thanks to house hunting shows on HGTV, but is still much more common in British English. Different to as opposed to different from or different than. And a machine that operates the way it had always done, whereas Americans would say the way it always had. A final example from William Boyd's latest trio is an American actress in whose mouth Boyd puts two Britishisms in one sentence— She's describing her role in her current project, quote, I'm meant to be a famous film star who's making a film in Brighton, unquote. Meant to, for this particular connotation of supposed to, is pure British, and an American would likely say movie star instead of film star. It's not hard to imagine how this sort of thing happens. For both British authors and British copy editors, lexical anatopism, like lexical anachronism, is a potential blind spot, a Donald Rumsfeld-esque unknown unknown situation. That is, they're aware that Americans would say elevator instead of lift, or would never say telly, but there are thousands of other expressions they probably don't even realize are exclusively British. They just sound normal, hence they don't flag or query them when they come out of the mouth of an American character. American copy editors would indeed sense something off, and I'm sure make many changes along these lines, but generally speaking, British books have already gone through the full editorial process before they cross the pond, and therefore often don't get the fullest level of scrutiny over here. Benjamin Dreyer, the copy chief of Random House, which published Utopia Avenue, and the author of Dreyer's English, says, quote, When we publish a British book, we don't do a thorough copy edit unless that's been prearranged. We do what I call a vigorous proofread. Our editors pick up UK terms so obscure that even a reasonably anglophilic US reader wouldn't understand them, like ginger group, a formal or informal group within an organization seeking to influence its direction and activity or sat-nav for GPS, unquote. But eye-hole for keyhole and till for cash register go through. 
One might imagine the same thing happening the other way around, that is, British characters in American novels talking in Americanisms. I haven't noticed it, probably because I don't recall reading that many American novels with British characters, possibly because of my own Rumsfeldian blind spot, or possibly because of a point raised by American romance novelist and linguistics professor Julie Tittel Andresen. Quote, the influence of American movies and television has brought American usages into English speech, or at least this influence has made those usages not as foreign as they once might have been, unquote. But Andresen says both anatopism and anachronism are problems in Regency romances set in the early 19th century. She reports a couple of pieces of dialogue that are guilty of both sins. It seemed like a good idea at the time, and I'll bet. There are, of course, worse sins against literature than this sort of misstep, but they're nevertheless a bad business. As they accumulate in a novel, disbelief gets harder to suspend, credibility gets strained, and the author's spell, such as it is, begins to be broken. So if you're now editing that novel you worked on during National Novel Writing Month, it's something to check. And I also humbly request a bit more effort by copy desks on both sides of the pond to ensure that dialogue is, well, spot on. That segment was by Ben Yagoda. Ben is the author of How to Not Write Bad, About Town, The New Yorker, and The World It Made, and many other books. You can find out more about him at benyagoda.com and on Twitter. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules? only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life, well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages, and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally first with words, then the phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com slash grammar. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today. 
People often ask how to use ellipses, those little dot dot dots you often see in email messages. For example, Mitra from Michigan asked, quote, When is it appropriate to use ellipses in writing? People use it all the time, and it seems like a way to make your writing more informal and conversational, as if you were pausing. Can you also use the dot 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 for formal writing? Unquote. The answer is that you can use ellipses in formal writing in other ways, and you can occasionally use an ellipsis, as Mitra described in his email, but you shouldn't overdo it. In formal writing, the most common way to use an ellipsis is to show that you've omitted words. For example, if you're quoting someone and you want to shorten the quotation, you use ellipses to indicate where you've dropped words or sentences. Here's a quote from the book Our Mutual Friend by Charles Dickens. Quote, I cannot help it. Reason has nothing to do with it. I love her against reason. Unquote. Now, far be it from me to edit Dickens, but if I were a journalist under a tight word limit looking at that quotation, I'd be tempted to shorten it to this. I cannot help it. I love her against reason. That middle part, reason has nothing to do with it, seems redundant, and taking it out doesn't change the meaning. Dot, 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 and it's gone, which saves seven words. Clearly, literature and journalism are not the same thing. Here's another example from a Rolling Stone review of the movie The Green Knight. Like all good medieval dramas, it has its share of hallucinogenic weirdness, talking foxes, loping giants, ghostly maidens, and ends not with a bang, but with a magnificently mournful sigh, unquote. Now, if I wanted to quote the review, and again, if I had limited space, I could use an ellipsis to shorten the quotation by omitting the examples about foxes, giants, and maidens, and write this. Like all good medieval dramas, it has its share of hallucinogenic weirdness, and ends not with a bang, but with a magnificently mournful sigh. But it's wrong to use an ellipsis to make even a subtle change to the meaning of a quotation. Integrity is essential when using ellipses this way. It's acceptable to tighten a long quotation by omitting unnecessary words, but it's important that you don't change the meaning. For example, in the Green Knight quotation, you shouldn't remove the words medieval or hallucinogenic because medieval dramas aren't the same thing as just dramas, and hallucinogenic weirdness isn't the same thing as just plain old weirdness. Now on to the other use of ellipses that you frequently see in email, the ellipsis that's used to indicate a pause or break in the writer's train of thought. Many people have written to me to say that they find this kind of use annoying, but a number of style guides say that the ellipsis can be used to indicate a pause or a falter in dialogue, the passage of time, an unfinished list, or that the speaker is trailed off in the middle of a sentence or left something unsaid. For example, the Chicago Manual of Style states, quote, Ellipsis points suggest faltering or fragmented speech accompanied by confusion or insecurity, unquote. The manual contrasts ellipses with dashes, which it says are better for interruptions or abrupt changes in thought than ellipses. So it's allowable to use ellipses to indicate pauses or breaks in the writer's train of thought, as you see so frequently done in email, especially where a break is meant to feel uncertain. Nevertheless, and this is a big nevertheless, most people who use ellipses in email overdo it a lot. You should not replace all normal punctuation with ellipses. You should not allow the sweet lure of ellipses to muddle your ability to write a complete sentence. To quote the book Grammar for Dummies, 
Using ellipses in this way can get annoying really fast. The author of another book, Punctuate It Right, feels this way about writers who use ellipses to imply that they have more to say. Quote, it's doubtful that they have anything in mind, and the device seems a rather cheap one, unquote. So use ellipses to show hesitation or a trailing off of thoughts if you must, but use them sparingly and know that although it's grammatically correct, it's considered by some to be annoying and cheap. Finally, ellipses seem to be allowed in some other special circumstances. I wouldn't consider this formal writing, but comic strip writers have been known to use ellipses instead of periods. I'm speculating here, but it seems as if the ellipses are being used as a way to draw you into the next frame, as if they're saying, keep going, there's more to come. For example, Charles Schultz used ellipses instead of periods at the end of sentences in Peanuts. Next, I was surprised to see that the AP style book allows the use of ellipses for what they call special effects. The style book states, quote, ellipses may also be used to separate individual items within a paragraph of show business gossip or similar material, unquote. Some famous newspaper writers have used ellipses in this way instead of periods to separate their rambling thoughts. Larry King heartily used ellipses in his USA Today column, as did Herb Cain in his San Francisco Chronicle column. In fact, Cain is reported to have coined the phrase three-dot journalism to describe such writing, and he was so beloved in San Francisco that when he died, the city named a street after him and included an ellipsis in the name. It's Herb Cain Way dot dot dot. Okay, now that you know how to use ellipses, you need to know how to make them. An ellipsis consists of exactly three dots, called ellipsis points. Never two dots, never four dots, just three dots. How you actually make the ellipsis is a matter of style. The Chicago Manual of Style puts spaces between the dots, and the AP style book doesn't. So check whichever style guide you use, or if you're writing for yourself, decide what you like and be consistent in your use. One thing that is important is that you never want your ellipsis points to get broken up so they span two lines. Typesetters and page designers use something called a thin space or a non-breaking space that keeps this from happening, and most fonts also have an ellipsis symbol you can insert. But for everyday purposes, it's fine to use regular periods with or without spaces between them. Just make sure your dots don't end up on two lines. Also, there's usually a space on each side of an ellipsis. The ellipsis is typically standing in for a word or a sentence, so just imagine it's a single word itself, and then it's easy to remember to put a space on each side. If you're omitting something that comes after a complete sentence, meaning that your ellipsis has to follow a period, put the period at the end of the sentence, just as you normally would, then type a space, and then type or insert your ellipsis. Again, you're treating the ellipsis as if it were a word, the first word of the next sentence. This will result in four dots in a row, but this is not a four-dot ellipsis. There's no such thing. It's a period followed by a regular three-dot ellipsis. And finally, because it's easier to understand when you can see the sentences, I've included a bunch of examples on the article that goes with this segment on my website at quickanddirtytips.com of exactly how to combine ellipses with other punctuation marks, like commas and question marks. So just go to quickanddirtytips.com and search for ellipses if you want to see more examples. 
To sum up, use ellipses sparingly to indicate hesitation or faltering speech or thoughts, and use them to shorten long quotations when necessary, but be sure you don't change the meaning. Check your style guide on how to format your ellipses, and when thinking about spacing, it can help to think of an ellipsis as a single word. Finally, I have a familect story. Hi, Grammar Girl. This is for a familect story. Years ago, my young kids would love it when my husband would bring home apple cider in the fall. And because they were young, they called it apple spider. And now that they're 15 and 13, we still all call it apple spider because not only is it cute, but it's also kind of spooky. Good for the fall season. Thank you and have a great day. Thanks for that story. I bet you have a lot of fun with that at Halloween. If you want to call in with a story of your family act, a word your family and only your family uses, you can leave a voicemail at 833214-GIRL, and I might play it on the show. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find articles that go with each podcast segment at my website, quickanddirtytips.com. Thanks to my audio engineer, Nathan Sams, and my editor, Adam Cecil. Our operations and editorial manager is Michelle Margulis, who is currently on a beach with a pina colada. And our assistant manager is Emily Miller. Our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. That's all. Thanks for listening. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.